adventurers! This is MuseCast 14, your podcast for everything roleplay in the world of Eorzea. I'm your co-host, Remix Sakura. And I'm your other co-host, Demi. And today's episode is the last of our coverage of the city-states of Eorzea. That's kind of a sad thing, you know? We've been working on city-states for so long, and I think after this we plan on maybe moving outside of the Eorzean Alliance, we really didn't know a whole lot about Gridania, and we weren't sure what we were going to talk about. So, we have some help. We have a very special guest, so if you would, could you please introduce yourself? You know, give us a little bit about your character, um, and maybe why you chose Gridania. Oh, thank you. Um, so, I play Yara Lassery on Balmung. Um, she's a Makote, but she's a Keeper of the Sun. And why did I choose Gridania? Mm. Trees, elves, forest... I guess I like the look of it, because I think one of the first, like, splash screen images I saw was probably the Carline Canopy, and I was like, oh, I want to go there. Mm. That Carline Canopy is really pretty. It's honestly, like, one of my favorite inns in the entire game, if not my favorite. Gridania is definitely a place with trees, (laughs) (laughs) and they're very nature-centric. That's probably one of the first things that you'll get out of really arriving in Gridania is they love their nature. Well, it's also just peaceful. I mean, if you walk into Limsa or Ulda, you're you're immediately struck by how busy it feels and almost like you're drowning. In Gridania, you go, <gasps> and, ah. yeah, and you're like, oh, I, I feel like I could just go get a drink of water and sit outside and watch the clouds roll overhead. And I'd be okay doing that. Like, no one's going to run me over with a cart or, (laughs) you know, something. You won't be ambushed by pirates if you were in Limsa. Nope. Or you won't be ambushed by someone trying to sell you something. That is true. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, even even the name itself is kind of peaceful. Like, you have the residents who call it the Twelveswood. Um, If you're outside of, of Gridania... They might refer to as the Black Shroud. The residents live under the protection and the jurisdiction in many ways of the elementals. They live with the bounty of the forest. They consider harmony with nature as basically their greatest moral imperative. You don't get more tree hugging than Gridania. They might actually literally hug the trees. I don't know. In addition to Ira helping us, we also, for the first time in Musecast history... Have the help of our handy-dandy lore book. Yay! (laughs) I have a feeling we're going to be referencing this a whole lot in future episodes. Yep. But we were looking over the information in the lore book, and thankfully one of the things that it has is statistics on the racial makeup of all of the city-states. And so we were able to tell what sort of people live in Gridania, a little bit more specifically, what we found was it's home to mostly Midlanders, but they've also got Elizin and Keeper of the Moon Mikotes, which is a bit weird, because isn't isn't your Miko a Seeker of the Sun, you said? Yeah, she is, actually. Yeah. Which is kind of interesting. I, I really just wanted the cat eyes. <laughs> I wanted the awesome cat eyes. But this gigantic pie place just did not appeal. Yeah. Well... From these statistics, we got that there's a reasonable amount of diversity in every city, but definitely some populations are much higher than others. Yeah, that's true. Another thing about the racial makeup of Gridania that's a bit interesting and very different from all the other city-states is it's the only city that has a good proportion of Dusk Whites, like enough to really make an impact there. And the reason why there are so many Dusk Whites in Gridania is... They originate from the city of Galmora, and Galmora was the civilization that preceded Gridania. So what ended up happening was the Hure and the Elizin, who originally lived in Galmora, were living underground in this civilization to protect themselves from the elementals who were not the most fond of people coming into their Twelveswood. Get off my lawn. That's what they yeah. said. Those grumpy old elementals. <laughs> and and um, so eventually, though, the people of Galmora learned how to communicate with the elementals in what would become Conjury. And some of the Elizin 
and some of the year decided to come out from underground. But other Elizin decided to stay where they were, and it wasn't until somewhat recently that they came out, and while they were underground, they sort of evolved separately from the ones who had gone up to the surface. And so the ones who stayed underground were then known as the Dusk Whites. Yeah, it's interesting, even though it's really not terribly easy to tell Wildwood and Dusk White apart. There are some skin colors that are unique to the Dusk Whites that are kind of grayish and desaturated, which I suppose came from basically long, long centuries of not seeing the sun. And it's a little bit similar to the differences between Keeper of the Moon Mikode and Seeker of the Sun Mikode. The Keeper of the Moon have certain skin colors that are sort of desaturated, kind of grayish. Almost, yeah, gray. And they're, of course, nocturnal. So our handy-dandy lore book tells us that Gamora was founded in 740 and that the first successful communing with the elementals in order to sort of come to an agreement, like, hey, guys, can we get out of these caves now? Yeah, yeah, sure. They, They worked something out. They had long negotiations. That was successful in the year 1076. And in 1077, they started building Gridania. They were finally allowed to live in the forest proper. Yay! Yeah. On the other hand, they were basically forever tasked with protecting the forest, following the elementals' rules. The elementals were sort of like disgruntled landlords. (laughs) Disgruntled landlords. (laughs) I don't know. I I would more like them to big like guardians like wardens almost they're they're, yeah. they're designed to keep the forest safe and it's at their flowing but they also in some way you know keep people from taking things they shouldn't yeah or yeah. too much of one thing yeah we definitely have a lot to say about the elementals but back to deskoids right mm-hmm. yeah There was an interesting side effect of this sort of separation by choice of this certain population of Elizin. When Gridania was being founded, that was essentially the heart of civilization now. For the people that stayed behind in the caves, they were almost making the choice to separate from the larger society to keep the old way. Maybe for whatever reason, they just, they wanted to keep things the way they are. They didn't want to face this big change that was coming over the life that they'd known and their ancestors have known. So for whatever reason, they chose to stay in Galmora, but they ended up being on the fringes of society because of this. And such a small population couldn't really sustain itself. So some of this population that would become the Deskwites, living on the fringes of society, some of them did turn to stealing, thieving, banditry, illegal poaching, and things like that that are big moral no-nos in Gridania. So nowadays, this is probably not true of the people that have moved to Gridania and assimilated into society, but it essentially became a racial stereotype of Duskwites, like Duskwites are criminals. For example, there's a fellow in the Lancer Quest line, Folks, who like has a huge ship on his shoulder. I mean, he's kind of an asshole anyway, but his life was apparently made a lot worse by the essentially the racism of being a Duskwite. Yeah, you know, there's a lot of stereotypes in this wariness of outsiders. And another stereotype that's kind of not so much big in Gridania, but something that I've just personally noticed, is that poaching is a big thing in Gridania, right? You've got a bunch of people just killing things that the elementals, I'm sure, don't approve of. Yeah, or, or kind of killing indiscriminately hunting indiscriminately going beyond what they actually need yeah i was gonna say exactly it's definitely hunting beyond what you would need just for food or just for you know parts to you know make clothing or shelter or something this is just wanton killing to to an elemental yeah or even hunting outside of the jurisdiction of the various guilds in granani any sort of unauthorized quote-unquote hunting such as that practiced by some traditional keeper of the moon tribes. Yeah. That are still yeah. living that tribal life. Yeah. That, that was my point here. Um, a lot of the poachers in the game are moon cats. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. all of them. You look at even the, the regular mobs that you see. Yeah, they're um, all. They're still all, all of them, keeper of the moon Mikotes. Yeah, the curl claws. Yeah. 
Are, is that the only set of moon cats we see, like, in their quote-unquote natural state? <laughs> as wrong as that sounds. You mean open-world mobs? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's true. I mean, that's who we see in the open-world map. That doesn't mean that there aren't other tribes out there. Right. You know, beyond the map. No, no, That that's what I mean, is that there must be other moon cats out there doing their thing but within the laws of gradania as it were yeah yeah like i I find it very difficult to believe that all keepers of the moon are breaking the rules yeah hashtag not all keepers (laughs) (laughs) Uh, not all keepers that's a good one (laughs) yeah so there are lots of different layers to gradanian society different sections you know, some racial divides. But also there's some hints of even a little bit of societal stratification and elitism. If you're looking at it from an outsider's perspective, all Gridanians seem kind of stuffy. <laughs> to, at, at least at some yeah. level. I mean... I guess, I guess to some extent that is true. As someone who started in Gridania, um, you know, that very first opening couple of quests with Mother Mion... Um, the the uh the people get angry at you <laughs> like for being an outsider they're like what do you know and you're like oh um i know nothing <laughs> i'm john snow yep but anyway we did notice in our research that there is a section of the city of gradania that's walled off for noble families such as the family of lady amandine who lived in hawk manor are they in use now? Um, we don't know. Because the only time you get to see this noble quarter is in the section where you're going to Hawk Manor. Uh, you go talk to the old guy that's sitting outside the gates. We never actually yeah. see the inside of it. Yeah, well, I think if you talk to the NPC by the gate, he says something like, this place isn't for the likes of you, adventurer. Yeah, uh, that that is that is pretty close yeah. to the line. yeah. So is there another section of Gridanian society that's a bit like Ishgard, in a way? Are they Elizen? Yeah. Hmm. Maybe. Some of them might be. Some of them also yeah. might be here, for all we know. Yeah. Because we know that the Pajal are exclusively here. Yes, but we have a whole lot to say about the Pajal. Let's talk about the elementals first, though. <laughs> yes. Yeah, that's pretty important before you even know like what the... What's Pajal. a Pajal? Pajal are? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The elementals are almost like the foundations, almost literally, of Gridanian society. Because they were the forces that essentially let the Hiranellas and live there in the first place. Without the elementals, there wouldn't be a Gridania. Yep. I, I would say they definitely make up the bedrock of society. Um, yeah. But what are they really? Metaphysically, they're kind of some spirit fairy-like things they they don't seem to have bodies as as mortal beings know them they don't seem to have bodies yeah they don't really have like a permanent state but they can appear when they want to and you see them as like these little cherubic things yeah from time to time yeah an old screen chef in 1.0 actually had their model looking strangely like the anima (laughs) that we saw in 3.0 the spirit of your animal weapon oh but some of them do live inside trees. Like there's a great tree in Gadania, which holds the great one, the most powerful of the elementals. But they are metaphysical, spiritual, you could say almost godlike beings. The lore book really does not shed a whole lot of light on this topic. Really? <laughs> Unfortunately, we don't really get more than that. But what we do know is that Gridanians really are only able to stay in Gridania because the elementals allow them to. Yeah. They they really have the blessings of the elementals and because of that they're able to stay, but if they make the elementals mad, who knows what could happen. Yeah. I don't think we want to know what will happen. Yeah. Well, if we want a little bit of a hint of what the elementals are capable of, we need only look to the sixth umbral calamity, which was a giant flood brought about by the elementals to punish the civilizations of Amdapur and Mach, and Nim for 
fighting each other to the death, using magic to drain the land of ether. Yeah, that was them. So they could basically turn nature against you at any point. You don't want to mess with the elementals. Although this gives a good reason as to why Gridanians seem very respectful of the rules (laughs) that the uh, elementals have set forth. In my mind, it's almost like a fear of disturbing the piece of the Twelve's Wood that's there. Yeah, there's a lot of fear. There's a lot of fear. That's why they have some of these very rigid rules about poaching, about what you can and can't do. And there's also an entire, basically, class of people that are sort of the secular leaders of Gridania, whose job, first and foremost, is to carry out the will of the elementals. That's true. And those are, as we said before, those are the Pajals. Yes. Along with the hearers and the seed seers. Uh, hearers, not <laughs> hearers. Yeah, yes. let's, yeah. Let's, let's clarify that. <laughs> yeah, hearers are the people who are able to hear the elementals. They can be pretty much anyone. And then there are hearers who, of course, are the midlanders and highlanders. Completely different thing. But some hearers can be hearers. Yes. Yes. And some hearers can be Pajals. The Pajals themselves are born from exclusively Huron families, and they are very good at hearing and being able to communicate directly with the elementals. Yep. So the whole structure here of the essentially government of Gridania, which is intertwined with magic in many ways, is really not too straightforward and... It really took me reading the lore book to get it. But at the bottom, you have the largest group, Conjurers, which is anyone who can practice Conjury, adventurers <laughs> included. Like my character, Ira. Those, anyone who can hear the voice of the elementals is a hearer. The most powerful hearers are seed seers. And there are also super powerful seed seers who also have a special inborn talent. Those are the Pajal. So, remember how we were talking about Gamora before, right? Yeah, Gamora. There was a fellow who was the leader of the Fellowship of Mages who took it upon themselves to figure out enough magic to communicate with the elementals and ask that they be allowed to live in the forest. The leader of this fellowship was a man called Joran Lightheart, and we read his story in the book. So... As a blessing from the elementals upon this fellow who is so instrumental in creating this piece, basically among Joran's descendants, there are random children who are born into the family with three important traits. One, super hearer seed seer powers. Two, horns. (laughs) And three, this little quirk where they never age physically past kind of their early teens and because they're so well connected with the elementals that's sort of their legacy that they inherited they almost naturally become appointed the leaders of gridania and it's it's sort of strange almost that i mean obviously there isn't much of a democracy here it's almost like an oligarchy kind of, except that they really believe that the Pajal are are blessed by the elementals, and if your number one moral imperative in your society is pleasing the elementals, of course you're going to make them the leaders. Now, this is still an area that's kind of fuzzy, and I feel like it could use a lot more clarity. For example, we've met a couple of Pajal, of course. We know that the actual governing body of Gridania is called the Seed Seer Council, but we don't know if there are other Seed Seers on the council who are not Pajal. It just so happens that all the Pajal that we know happen to be seed seers yeah i think right. i think if you're a pajal you have to be a seed seer you're like automatically blessed with like superpowers but could there be like an elizin seed seer probably for example or a makote seed seer or a huron seed yeah seer. or a non-pajal here seed seer yeah or wouldn't that be a non-pajal wouldn't that be a huron seed seer just a huron seed seer distinguished from a yeah. pajal seed seer yeah. yeah, exactly. But we've never seen any. We don't have no. that many examples to go off of. We have plenty of Ellis and Conjurers. Yeah. It's just it's just really unclear. I mean, 
We have, what, like five Pajal that we've met in the entire story? Like, is the entire government of Gridania really just five people? <laughs> That'd be ridiculous. And that would... <laughs> yeah, like, I feel like there has to be well, more. I mean, think about it. You have you have the entire government of um, Limsa Liminsa. Merlvib. <laughs> yeah. Merlvib. You have the entire government of Uda, which is Nanamo and then the six syndicate members. Right. Yeah, I guess it's so possible. It, I guess it, it is. It is possible that it could be a select few. Yeah. It just really hasn't been clarified. I'm actually surprised that they don't break down the names of everyone in the seats here council because, you know, we know the names of everybody on the syndicate, whether or not they're major characters. So this is something that I would definitely like to learn more of in the future. The syndicate's more important. I mean, like, when was the last time we learned who anyone was in Limsa? Like, other than Merle Webb, who's, like, important, important, and her right-hand man. Yeah, you don't hear about a lot of those things like through the main scenario, especially. Yeah, yeah. And so that's why that's why I do hope that a lot of the other city states end up getting a bit more of a focus on their governmental structures. Right, I'm hoping that too. I would love to see how Gridania is actually running its day to day non crisis state. Yeah. Yeah. But for now, all that we really know is that there are six known Padali. They happen to be, of course, the Elder Seed Seer and her two siblings. And then we have Oapesi, I believe, who helps you out in the Odin quest line. Yep. Uh-huh. Then there's one outside of Quarrymel, like if you're waiting for Palace of the Dead, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A Unicator. Yeah. And then there's one more. Who am I forgetting That would here? be the Guildmaster of the Conjurer's Guild. That's Ace right. Esumion. So those are the mm-hmm. six. But of those... We really know the best, um, or the most, about Kane Sena, and then her younger sister, Raya Osena, and then their brother, Arun Sena. So uh-huh. all of them are part of the Sena line. All of them are seed seers. All of them are Pajals. Talk about beating the odds. I mean, <laughs> three kids, what? Like, two or three years apart? Something like that? Kane is 28, Rayao is 21, and Arun is 18. And yeah, they do mention that it's apparently exceedingly rare to have three children in the same family be born as Pajal, especially ones with their level of power. And Kane herself is also pretty young. Yeah. Um, especially By considering Pajal she's standards. in charge of a grand company. <laughs> yeah. You yeah. know, she's she's young, and we, we learned from... I believe an earlier lore panel during a fan fest that Kane makes herself up to look older so that she can be seen like as more of a an authoritative presence. Well, she does a good job of it. I mean, her hair is up. It's pulled back into that bun. Um, the robe and the staff help. Yeah, she has like a full length robe. She has kind of like a low cut necklace and it's very like elegant and womanly. But... It's odd to think that if she actually changed her look a little bit, she would look no older than, like, Ryo. But they obviously took some careful points with the character design here. For example, like, Ryo has pigtails and wears, like, the schoolgirl skirt. And, like, Arun has, like, bangs in front of his face and, like, what kind of look like schoolboy shorts. So they kind of are making points here with the character design. How long has Kane Sena been running Gridania? Do we know? Yeah, so I guess basically since the time of 1.0. Okay. Or a little bit before that. Because it was because of the encroaching Garlean Empire that the city-states decided to reform their grand companies. And previous to this, Kane was essentially living in the forest, as her siblings do now, and just talking to the elementals, you know, reporting back. That's basically her job. And she lived in the forest full time. However... Gridania, in this time of crisis, said that they needed a leader. So they're like, hey, Kane, we need you to come and uh, be the leader of Gridania now. Is that cool? Yeah, sure. Sounds good. <laughs> and yeah, so now she's essentially on the international stage instead of just being internal to Gridania. So she has to think about her appearance a little bit. I really wish I could have seen Kane Sena in, in 1.0. I would love to know what she looked like. I love, love flashbacks. So I would like to see that. And yeah. It's sort of interesting that she's 28, you know, she's of a fairly normal age. And she's the Elder Seed Seer when she's far from the oldest. Pajal in Gridania, even Oet Pessi is in his 30s. And Aesumion, I believe, is the oldest, who's rumored to be 230. 
Why isn't he Elder Tsitsir? 230. Yep. He's seen some stuff. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think part of the reason might be due to the fact that Kane has like this prophetic ability. Yes. Um, when she was very young, she was able to tell like, you know, if floods were coming, if any kind of mini calamity, we'll say, was uh, planning on approaching. Yeah, I think it's because she has just super, super duper hearer powers. Kane can probably hear the elementals not better, but, you know, like if they get a little bit upset, I think she's just more on top of it, maybe. I mean, you know, superhero powers. Yeah, maybe it's better at interpretation, but Lorebook also makes a note that she is not the most powerful Pajal when it comes to hearing the Elemental's voices. That's actually Arun, her brother. He hears their voices more strongly than any of them. Also, she is not even the most talented of the group in white magic. That's Raya-O. That's why she's your white mage quest giver. So she may not be the most talented in either of these areas, but maybe she has more of a balance of talents and she has this prophetic ability and she is, you know, the oldest also. And she's diplomatic. Yeah. Yes. She's she is. even within the Eorzean Alliance, she seems like more of the peacemaker of the group. Yeah, she definitely yeah. is. She's aware of what's going on and how things need to be handled delicately. The Tales from the Calamity story describes her as a seeker of harmony in all things. Always useful when dealing with elementals, I would think. Yeah. It's an asset. Yeah. <laughs> or with other government figures. Yes, but mostly with elementals. I would assume that this was came into existence because she's wants to be harmonious with everything it's a skill that she's but learned yeah basically making peace between people and elementals you could say yeah i guess that's a good thing um because she is a pajal she was pretty much appointed leaders like if you know that your child is a pajal you're just the kids taken away they start learning conjury yep congratulations you're now a seed seed yeah they also <laughs> yep. actually change their name so you might have noticed a little bit of a naming convention with the Pajal here. That's on purpose. And in universe, these names come from the ancient Gilmoran languages. In real life, we learn from the lore forum that they actually come from the Ainu language, which is a native. The Ainu are the native indigenous people of Japan. Yes, that. So they might actually start out with average names, Joseph, William, and then... Once their horns start sprouting and their other powers start to appear, they actually take on a new name. And you'll notice that the females have a name followed by a dash and a syllable, Kane and Raya-O, and the males have the reverse, the syllable first, and then a name, Arun, Aesumi, etc. That's also part of the naming convention. So another interesting thing we might see in a flashback one day is what names were they all born with? I would love that to would know. Be interesting. Mm. I mean, I'd love to know what their parents are doing. Yeah. Because the Senna siblings, I mean, they're all relatively close in age. Their parents are potentially still alive. Yeah, um, very much so. Does Asumi Yan have any kids? I don't know. I mean, at 2.30, maybe. Yeah. There is some NPC text that uh, pokes fun of the fact that Raya-O is worried that she will never get married, either because of her temper or because, you know, the Seasier life is kind of a hard one. But what is actually expected of them? Are they expected to just live this hermit life entirely devoted to the elementals forever? Or are they allowed to so. have a little bit of freedom? You know, there's some tension when you play the White Mage quests about the... Seed Seers leaving the Shroud and how they're really, really afraid to leave. For example, in the White Mage 50 to 60 quests, that's a main point that your other NPC is actually kind of angry that Raya-O and Arun won't leave the forest to try to deal with this problem that's coming out. And they only decide at the end, okay, you know what? It's fine. We have an important mission that's going to take us out of the forest for once and that's how they're able to resolve the tension in that plotline. But it's not something to be taken lightly because it's essentially that they're on call, you could say, 
anytime the elementals want to ring them up, they got to answer, you know? <laughs> They're like doctors on call. When that pager goes off, they got to pick up the phone. Yeah, if they leave the forest, they might not hear it. And they might miss the call. And I don't know, they might come back and everything's flooded. <laughs> and that's kind of why. And I'm sure that the people who aren't Pajals, not only do they rely on them, but they sort of have adapted their own sort of methods. Their wariness of foreigners coming in. And right. this strict adherence to tradition that even even the uh, white mages and conjurers sort of rely on this as well. Oh, because so these much. rules can be so arbitrary. Yeah. And so you need somebody there to be able to converse with the elementals or to hear what they're doing and try to figure out how can we best respond to all of this. How can we best deal with what's been given to us without offending the elementals? Yeah. Um, at, le- at least I like the fact, though, that traditions are beginning to change. By the end of, you know, the 60 white mage quest, it's yeah. less about adhering to tradition and, you know, learning to bend with the wind and not snap like a yeah. branch. Very true. And with the adventurers coming in as well, I do wonder, what is it like to be an outsider living in Gridania when things are very, very slowly, sometimes even begrudgingly, starting to change. Yeah. You know, how are they accepted? Yeah, that or is a good Or what do other people think? I think that was yeah. actually something brought up when you do the quest to unlock the housing zones. Like, yes. oh, we're going to offer up the lavender beds to rich adventurers. Like, how do the elementals feel about this? About that. Uh, you know, huh? You don't know. <laughs> I don't know. How do the NPCs feel about it? None of the NPCs like it because it's housing that they're not getting, if you notice. Which yeah. I always thought was interesting. Uh, I find it funny because of all the housing wars on servers. <laughs> I know, right? Yeah, there's still not enough. There's yeah, never enough housing. Ever. In universe, the citizens of these cities are actually sort of offended that the land is being given to outsiders, to adventurers. But, like, but where are these citizens actually living? Because as far as we know... There doesn't seem to be enough housing in the places we see in these cities, yeah. including Gridania. Gridania especially. I guess you have to assume that there's somewhere within the city border, maybe in a zone you don't realize. Yeah. There Otherwise, must be. like, we just have to deal with, okay, every NPC is now homeless. <laughs> yeah, well, in Gridania, it might not be so bad. I mean, you know, there are nice big trees and plenty of shelter. Yeah, um, it's nice comfy there's grass. Water. And plenty of water. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. the best thing about so Gridania. I feel so bad for those, those people in Uldah and the people in Ishgard. Yeah. I mean, we know they're homeless in the broom already. They're homeless on Pearl Lane and things like that. But man, those two places must be tough to live in if you were homeless. Yeah. Yeah. And Ishgard's cold. At least in Gridania, yeah. it's like eternal spring, summerish. I mean, yeah. as far as we know, do we know of any of the trees in the Twelves that are deciduous? I mean, you know, well, did they lose <laughs> that's their an interesting question. You know, it never, it, they never ever stop being green all year round. But, ah, uh, but yes. So, <sighs> Kane Senna. What can yes. we say about her? I mean, she's awesome and a blonde and very regal, kind of like Nanamo in a way. Yeah. You know, yeah, she has a lot of similarities in her backstory with Nanamo. Like, she's she's born into a role that she pretty much didn't choose, but because she was a Pajal, it's expected of her. Maybe even forced when she accepted that Elder Seed Seer title. And so she's she's also a young ruler. Yeah, she and Nanamo must have nice tea parties about... The crazy, <laughs> crazy thing. I mean, can you imagine a tea I'm party sure like that? I'm sure they do. Yeah. I have a headcanon um, in my own Nanamo portrayal that Nanamo and Kane, Kane basically became like an older sister to her. Kane would have practice at that. Actually, now now I, now I have this image in my head of like Kane sitting on the Sultana's bed <laughs> and Aww. Nanamo just like braiding her hair. <laughs> but actually, Kane was also kind of forced into this role of Pajal at a young age. They tell us that she started having these prophetic visions at a very young age, and she was brought into the Conjurer's Guild at the age of six. Wow. Wait, is this in the lore book? Yep. Yep. Woo, she was brought in young. I mean, that kind of magic youth uh, trope isn't anything new, but 
I, it must have been scary, like, for a six-year-old. I mean, you know, imagine yeah. a six-year-old going to their first day of school. But, you know, you are literally going to, like, boarding school. I mean, will she ever see her parents again? Hogwarts from hell. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Or not, you know, not necessarily hell, but very, very strict. And a lot would have been expected of her. They also mentioned that her prophetic visions were hauntingly clear and detailed. Imagine that you have a, like, the nightmare on steroids and you're super, super young and you're like, wait, this is actually going to happen. That's very scary. That'd be scary. I mean, because I've had dreams where I've woken up and I'm like, that was a little vivid. (laughs) <laughs> or even being yeah. able to hear the voices of the elementals. Like, imagine you wake up one morning, and all of a sudden you just hear these grumbling elementals being like, oh man, I hate it when all these poachers do this, and I wanted to send out all these things. And so part of the training, I would imagine, would involve learning how to cope with these visions. And oh, yeah, learning definitely. how to do all this. But then with that, you know, she she developed this ability to learned conjury and was able to even though she isn't necessarily the most skilled in battle strategy um she was able to fight on the field or maybe not fight but heal on the field of cardinal but that's the thing is that you know it was in her tales from the calamity story right Uh you know she spent what like a week like a week week something like that cardinal but she healed both sides like yeah after the battle was done yeah, after it was done. Uh, yeah. Of course, after it was done, healing both sides. You don't do that during the fight. <laughs> well, let I don't the know. people, you know, let 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 the Aorian Alliance win the fight, and then after they're done, just send the Carleans home. I I think Kane Sena's, uh, you know, Medica too would be pretty impressive. Yeah, right. I mean, oh. Raya Raya owes still felt kind of weak as someone who did do the conjurer quest yeah <laughs> it, it was a conjurer by training so mm. um yeah of course Raya was not the best <laughs> was not the best white mage was like <laughs> come on i'm doing more i'm doing more with my regen well you know junior. she didn't have fancy tombstone gear from rowena <laughs> i don't think i did it with tombstone gear <laughs> when i did when i did like the level 60 quest or 50 quest <laughs> One of those, you know, one of those big ending quests. Yeah. Where I, they finally leave the forest and go fight some dragons. Yeah. I don't I don't think I had the tombstone gear from one. Maybe I had some of it. A couple of pieces, but still. You were a bit OP. Uh, yeah, just a little bit. <laughs> yeah, but her Tales from the Calamity story in particular, I think is one of the best and a really, really great piece of character development. You can see that she's deeply empathetic she even says the people on the field are crying out for me to ease their suffering. And it didn't matter if they were Garlean or Alliance or anything. They're all people. And she treated them all the same. And this kind of comes back to her in good karma because one of the former Garlean soldiers who was very young and obviously a conscript actually becomes one of her bodyguards. Wow. So yeah. this may mean that Kane Sena may actually be like an empath, like yeah. Jean Grey level empath. Yeah, it's possible. But I think that she's also similar to Nanamo in this way, because I think Nanamo also feels the suffering of people very acutely. Like she can't ignore she can't look the away plights from it. of the poor. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's kind of important for a leader. I mean, if you pretend that the lowest people among you are worth nothing... What does that say about you? Yeah. I feel like that's just a path for failure. Like, you're just setting yourself up for a rebellion. Yep. Good luck to you in the future. Okay. Yep. Yeah. Great, great, way to, great way to destroy things. She clearly sees everybody as people. I want to say humans, but that just sounds like here. Like, everybody is a people. <laughs> <laughs> everybody is a person. is a humanoid being. <laughs> and therefore... <laughs> everybody is a spoken race. Everyone is a yeah. sapient, sentient being of worth. There we they go. They are not void sent. No. Nope. <laughs> yeah. But, Emmy, you were saying a little bit before that, I mean, nothing in her background has prepared her to be the leader of a military, of a grand company. It's also noted in the lore book that the second in command, a guy who we hardly know anything about, and I don't think is in the game 
anywhere. His name is Swethrick Brookstone. And it's noted in his profile that he is, quote, wise in the ways of war, where Kane is not. So she is kind of relying on him to do the military stuff that's required of Cartano, of everything else that they're doing. Does it say whether Swethrick is Huron or He's Elizabeth a Huron, yeah. Okay. I was just like, Southwick Brookstone just seems really Huron. But yeah. there we go. So he's one of those unseen Gridanian, yeah. you know, doing stuff types. Yeah. I'm surprised that he's not in the game because it's like, the second in command of Limsa is obviously really important. And then there was sort of a, a subplot with the second in command of, in Ulda and yeah. Anishgard too. But it's weird that he wouldn't even be in the game at all. Maybe, maybe we have seen him and we just don't know we've seen him. Yeah. Somebody listening to this will possibly correct us then. Oh, definitely. Yeah. If anyone but, has seen this NPC, please yes. step have forward. Have you seen this NPC? <laughs> <laughs> Missing. He's on like the Smether side of the milk carton. Yeah. But exactly. it, they'd probably be milk bottles, let's be honest. Milk <laughs> bottles, like real glass blown bottles. Yeah. Probably the milkman. But yeah, she basically has no military background, no martial background, which is very different than the rest of the Alliance. Everyone. Well, okay, Raubon, Nanamo. You don't expect Nanamo to go into battle swinging a sword. Yeah, but as far as the Grand no. Company leaders. Oh, well, yes. Yeah, everyone else has military experience except Conan. Yeah, nothing has really prepared her for this. They don't really teach you that in Conjurer School. Maybe, you know, you know the basic spells for defending yourself, but her job has always just been talk to the elementals, and that's all. So she really got swept up in this whole... Stuff that's happening to Eorzea now. So what does Kane do for fun, you think? Because we know that, you know, uh, Merle Webb loves combat and booze. Yeah. And... Sailing. Uh, many other sailing. things. Yeah, sailing. Yes, sailing and many other things, yeah. Uh, we know that sometimes uh, Nanamo loves to just go run off and go do something else, not being Sultana. Aimric, what would he do for fun? I think what I remember him saying was he's usually just occupied with work, but he likes birch syrup in his tea. Yeah. Well, let's look at the lore book. In her 28 summers, Kane has developed a fondness for Muntui brew and is surprisingly adept at the dances of Mughal kind. So what does she do for fun? She gets drunk and does the Mughal dance. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Didn't we have didn't we have a talk about this earlier where if the Eorzean Alliance leaders had a drinking contest? Like I, I remember Ralbon would be like one of the first to get completely drunk. Yeah. Yeah. I would say Kane is probably down there too. Yeah. Though so, I don't know. At this rate she can probably beat Imerick if she has a fondness for Muntoy Brew. Also, what does that taste like? Is it like beer? I don't know. Is it like it, sake? Is it like I get the feeling it's probably like birch beer. Like that, yeah. that, or ginger beer, maybe? Because it so, seems like the Muntoy bean is a little bit analogous to the soybean. Like, you can eat uh, fermented Muntoy beans, which is like natto or tofu. Natto. Gross. <laughs> I mean, not gross. It's not to my liking, but it's not gross. No, no never <laughs> gross. Just not to my liking. Um. <laughs> so, we actually were talking... In the MuseCast Discord, which we're going to plug in a few minutes, about That's what are true. all the kinds of alcohol that exist in Eorzea. we got to add Muntui Brew. I was bringing that up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know what? D hasn't someone made a food blog for Eorzea? Yep. Like an actual, like, real-life anal analogous food blog? I know of Eorzean Eats, which is someone attempting to recreate the recipes as they are in-game. Yeah, that's what I'm. That's what I was thinking. Yeah, of. and actually, cooks it would them. be interesting to know if we could figure out like if there are any mixed drinks in Eorzea, and how to make them, and hmm. then try and reproduce them. Oh, that'd or, like, be fun. Like, get she heals I tank yeah. <laughs> to but, do that. I was researching this a little bit in my culinarian's crafting log when when we were having this discussion, and the only one I found is frozen spirits, which is mashed up cloud bananas and another kind of fruit. I forget which one. Uh, mashed up in like a daiquiri. Sounds pretty good. 
I mean, yeah. I don't know. Do they make banana daiquiris? Yeah, they make cloud banana daiquiris. <laughs> okay. So there's a good amount of stuff about Connie then as far as like little things about her. Yeah. But as a 3.4, to be honest, I don't think she's developed a whole lot. Like she hasn't changed really yeah. over the course of the story. Well, I'm just going to say she's kind of aloof. Like we've seen, you know, Merweb, we've seen a lot of Nanamo. We've even seen a lot of Amrick in comparison. But Kane, outside of those few times, you know, for the main story quest or dealing with the sylphs, you don't see a whole lot of her. Yeah, she made an appearance in like patch 3.1 or 3.2, where she actually yeah. left the forest for the first time to come visit the Mughal tribe. Right. But. Which was neat. I do think that she's the least developed character of all the Aerozine Alliance leaders. So oh, definitely. That's not a bad thing, necessarily. It just means that we want more. There's a potential for more. More, please. Yes. I want I want some Kane. I want Kane to be like, man, I'm tired of this. I'm going to go dump my robe off, put my staff down, and go sit in a pool in the moonlight somewhere. <laughs> with, 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 the, with the container of beer. And just Muntoy beer. <laughs> yep. And just watch the clouds drift yeah. slowly by. Hang out with the Moogles. Yep. Hmm. <laughs> Do the Moogle dance. Yep. Sounds like something for the next calendar. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That'd be a good idea. That would be a good idea. Yes. Somebody go make that image. Fan art? Maybe. So much fan art. <laughs> All right, that's Gridania. That is all of the city-states of Eorzea. Woo! Yeah! We finished. Yep. Sort of. I mean, of course, there's more we want to talk about. There's lots more we want to talk about. Uh-huh. There's buckets. No, no, the, the, there's mountains more. <laughs> but for now, <laughs> for now, I guess we're going to go and lead into our usual end-of-the-episode segment in which we share a random game or role-play experience. Um, could be in character, could be out of character, just has to be something that's pretty interesting because we all like playing that Final Fantasy XIV. Yep. So, who would like to start this time? Well, it's been a long time since the last time we were able to share one of our stories. We had three whole episodes from FanFest, so a lot has happened. One of the coolest things that's happened in that time is that we have successfully launched a MuseCast community on Discord. That's right, we have. It's a neat little Discord, I think. Yeah, we've got a nice group of people, you know, from different backgrounds, different levels of roleplay experience. But we have some really great discussions, some about lore, some about just game stuff. And we also wanted to have, as a goal of this community, be a place where people can get help and guidance with their roleplay endeavors. So we've set up rooms that are just for hey, I'm having this problem, I'm having this struggle, we'll come and answer you, help with writing, help with, with lore questions, you know, fact-checking, anything you might need. I think that also, in, in addition to being just a social place, it can be for anybody to come in if they want to join and find that people are welcoming. You know, that we're all centered around role play, but also on a, on a certain manner of thinking. Not all of us in the chat are necessarily role players, but we're all there to sort of talk about things related to the characters and the world of Eorzea. So it's really cool. We've also got something that's kind of interesting is an in-character chat. Ooh. And we have mm -hmm. people who are from like all different servers as well. And so it's a really neat place where we can all get to know each other's characters as well sort of in this first-hand manner, that's not necessarily in the game. It's definitely a place where I think people could practice if they're intimidated by doing it in other formats. Yeah, especially if you're new. Like, everybody's just very welcoming, and so... Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I might be a little bit biased here, but <laughs> I would mm -hmm. say check it out. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no, I, I like it. It's a, great, it's a great community. I mean, I know I've poked my head in a couple of times and gone... And we've done it again. Oh, that's an interesting <laughs> little tidbit I didn't know of, but I do have a, I do have a good piece of uh, story to share, if yeah. I may. Yeah. Sure. Uh -huh. Yep. So 
I guess back when I started back in 2015, 2015, yeah, I guess so. I was hanging out like in the car line canopy and I had some people just approach me. It was a random role play. I was just sitting around and someone approached me and I was like, cool, I'm going to roll with this. And it turned out that they were like a native Gridanian. It was kind of neat. Um, and my character expressed the fact that she hadn't been back in a couple of years. And as we said, you know, Gridania has some really weird, arbitrary rules. And, you know, they made the comment of, you know, well, no outsider should do any of, like, Condry or whatnot. And I was like, that seems kind of weird, considering the last time I was here, Condry was open to everyone to practice if they so chose. And they're like, oh, no, 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 new rule, you know, outsiders can't practice Condry. Boo. Yeah, but it was <laughs> but it was fun because it meant that my character kind of got a taste of that. Well, you've been gone for like a decade. Um. So you're an outsider too. You're you're an outsider, more of an outsider than when you left. Oh, ouch. Yeah, because she 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 wasn't born in Gridania, but her pa- no, she was born in Gridania, but her parents are. I want to say Charlayan. I think. It's up to you. Your, your character yeah, I know. can be wherever I'm try, you I'm trying want. to remember, though. <laughs> I just couldn't remember because it's been a bit since I mentioned them. But I think they were Charlayan. So, you know, outsider, child of outsiders, born in Gridania. And it was really kind of a fun exchange where she was like, that doesn't make any sense. Why would they stop me? I already started learning to do it. And they're like, well, you're an outsider. You can't learn how to be a conjurer. That's Gridanian. And just like... What is going on? What kind of silly rules have you people been making in my absence? But yeah, like, as, as a silly little thing that Gridanians do, strange rules just kind of pop up. And people will come up with some weird ones. I haven't seen any recently, but... Yeah, that does seem to make a lot of sense, given everything that we've talked about. But, I mean, I, I guess it was kind of funny, because it was like, well, you... I was like... Does that mean that I can't go, I don't know, learn to be a leather worker because I'm not Gridanian? I thought about it and then I was like, no, that makes sense. Because you wouldn't have the respect for the item that you would if you lived in Gridania your entire life, which I thought was kind of a good point. Hmm. Because uh, a lot of the, if you pay attention to some of the uh, quest dialogue for some of the things in Gridania, it's very much about being respectful of the stuff you're taking like don't just take it and you know yeah we all go and buy it off the market board you know <laughs> in huge mass quantities yeah leather comes from animals you have to kill an animal that's yep. not good <laughs> nope well, yeah that does seem to reflect the values of gridania or at least some does. people's interpretation of them a lot of yeah. people's interpretation of them so what kind of stories you guys got lately let me see. Um, so Remix has already done her story, I think, with the, the founding of this Discord. My story, well, probably some of you know this, some of you don't, but I have way too many versions of my Nanamo character than I can level up at a time. But this one takes place on the Malboro server, and recently I came across somebody on Tumblr who had started up a new blog. And it was somebody who I was very much hoping that I would, you know, find somebody who took this character as a muse. It was somebody who played as Teleji Adeleji. Gasp! Who's on the syndicate. The guy who tried and to kill so, Nanamo? <laughs> yeah, and so this person's That's version not of awkward Teleji, at all. <laughs> well, I mean, it, it made for some interesting conflict. Um, because this version of Teleji decided to make her version canon divergent. And what that means is... They have incorporated details of this character that don't necessarily match up with what actually happened in the game. So For example, this version of they're Teleji, alive. <laughs> yeah, this version of Teleji somehow barely managed to survive um, being chopped in half. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and so he was living in Gridania, of all places, um, kind of hiding out because obviously if he were to return to Uldah, and Nanamo found out, well, He'd that's... really be dead. Yeah, he'd really be dead. And so 
we've been working with this variation and just having these little private role plays in which Nanamo has ended up in Gridania and found out that Teleji was alive and um, has been trying to figure out how to best manage it because she herself is still somewhat, you know, traumatized by that whole ordeal of being poisoned. And so it's been interesting, but not only that, soon afterwards, a friend of mine found out about this Teleji, and she decided it would be very interesting if, hmm, Lola Rita would be very cool oh. if he somehow came to Gridania oh and my. found Nanamo and Teleji. So now we're just having all these lovely little bickering, uh, bickerings about politics and about just, you know, little tiny things, but... It's it's so great to see three syndicate members and the people on Melboro I think are somewhat surprised as well to see three syndicate members or two syndicate members in the Sultana just wandering around together. But it's been <laughs> so much fun. And I'm so glad that like we're slowly building up the members of the Ildan government <laughs> in um, Gridania this roleplay community. Yeah, in in Gridania. I mean, Nanamo now is back in Uda, but yeah, it's it's very cool. I love it. It it feels it's this little alternate universe bubble. Exactly. Yeah. It's fun. And speaking of Marlboro, would you say, Emmy, that that is a rather small server with not too many role players on it? You know, there aren't a whole lot of role players on there. I don't know if I'd consider it a small server, but it's small enough where I guess considering the mega servers that I tend to play on, like I got a character on Gilgamesh, I got a character on Balmung. I mean, yeah, it can be considered somewhat small-ish. Because? Yeah, compared to that. Because we are planning, I know where this is going, <laughs> <laughs> we are planning an episode on small servers and medium-sized servers as well, and we want to hear from people if you are a role player on a smaller or medium-sized server. Yep, because we know that it can be tough for those people that can't get onto a mega server or don't want to be on a mega server how do you find like-minded people how do you find people to role play with it can be tough but sometimes when you succeed you make some really close friends in a really tight-knit community so through our interviews through trying to find other role players from every server out there We've heard some really interesting stories, but we want to know more. And we just want to open up the floor for people's voices to be heard where often their voices aren't heard at all. So that's why we are looking for any small server role player, medium server, just anything that isn't a mega server. We want to hear your stories. Now, you can either come onto the show with us, be a special guest, do a short interview, similar to those that we did at FanFest in episode 10, or... If you prefer, you can also write a short statement, 200 to 300 words, that we can read on the show. If you'd prefer to not be on the microphone. Yeah, I know some people probably are nervous about that kind of thing, so we want to make it available for everybody. Yes. We had originally wanted to get our submissions by November 30th, but I think the holiday schedule has made it a little bit tough to fit too many episodes in December. So we're going to be extending the search through December. And if you're interested in speaking, we will get you on the show sometime in January. You can just shoot us an email at musecastxiv at gmail.com. Yes, it should be up on our website, up on our Twitter. But if you can't find it, just give us a little buzz on our email, on our Twitter. Before we wrap up, I had one other story. Sorry, I have two stories this week. <laughs> I was wrong. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, so another thing that I've been up to is trying to get more involved with the RP community on Gilgamesh, my home server, also Emmy's home server, home to my main character, a nice kitty named Natsuki McCatboy. What a last name. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I, I named him back when I had no idea about the lore of this game. And then I just got attached to it. I don't want to change it. I don't know. I think it's funny. <laughs> It kind of is. Yeah, I mean, you could look at it like I'm not that serious. Sometimes I'm a little bit afraid that the people who see me on Gilgamesh and don't know me think like, oh, I'm just some sort of like catboy hugger or like I'm not serious about my roleplay because I don't have a don't have a lore compliant 
last name. It's obviously kind of like a joke. Honestly, when I first made it, like over three years ago when I started the game, is because I couldn't think of a last name. <laughs> well, I mean, think of it this way. Who is going to take a Lollafell named Scoot Patoot seriously? <laughs> I don't know. It could, in certain interpretations, be a Plainsfolk name. I mean, it, it works with in terms of the naming conventions based on his backstory. His name was once spelled so it would be compliant, but pronounced the same way. Yeah. It's, it's still a silly sounding name. Yeah. And I mean, I haven't gone and like actually plugged the podcast to anybody that I've been role playing with there, though. I don't know. I guess if somebody from that community listens to this, then I'm going to be out because I don't want to make it about like I'm, I'm advertising. I just want it to be natural. Get into the community so I can have a little bit more fun and roleplay in-game more and just kind of be on my home server because oh, my other characters, I love them, but they're alts and I'm always going to be on my main more than anybody. I think I've had some success there. It's definitely a slow process. It can be as tough making friends and characters as it is in real life. I've been going to things like bar events. We had a party on the beach a couple weeks ago and... You have to learn how to break the ice and mingle with people just like in real life. And that can be that can be quite an experience for someone who's out of character, pretty introverted, and used to being a wallflower. Yeah. So, but I think with time, I'm getting more and more success. People see me, they know me. They see that I am actually a serious role player, not just like someone someone silly, like despite my name. It's also just kind of hard to do. So, Another thing that I really wanted to do to help get in with this community is plan my own event. And I also have wanted to, for some time, decorate the apartment that I got a couple patches ago. So this weekend, I made 25 alpine chairs <laughs> and now and manor flooring and decorated the whole thing, crafted everything. So the apartment is now a banquet hall. And I figured it's the starlight season. Why not have a starlight banquet and invite all the role players of Gilgamesh? Even though it only holds like, what, 15 people? 24. There's 24. 24. Okay. Yeah. And then Scoot, I, of course, I had to invite Emmy over to judge my decorating. And then turned into like you need to have a cake tray <laughs> needs more cake it needs more my character of course is like you need more cake yeah and then it turned into like can i make the cakes for the party and then it's like do you want to be a co-host sure yeah okay. all right i think he doesn't know <laughs> what he's getting into but <laughs> he just he just I has to bake do. a lot of cake and everything will be fine yeah <laughs> now my character's gonna have a lot of fun so <laughs> so we're having an so. rp party on gilgamesh hey and I'm going to post info about that on our website and our Twitter and anything. If you happen to be one of those Gregsters like us, why not attend? Because, you know, we're doing this basically just to get to know people better. Yeah, it's a good chance to kind of, you know, meet new people, maybe start learning how to roleplay. Or if you know how to roleplay, help other people learn how to roleplay. Yeah, and, and you will get actual in-game food. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we're going to craft it. <laughs> You know, if you really want to have it and then sell it off, you can do that. You can. You have the option to do it. I don't know how happy my character will be with it, but don't let him see. You, can do you it. have to hide. It. <laughs> <laughs> he live. Yeah, cry. Yeah, he will live. So that's my other anyway, story. Yeah, that's a neat story. So you can find all of the info about this event, as Remix said, on our Tumblr. Um, which can be found at musecastxiv.com. You can also find us on iTunes and Stitcher and Google Play if you want to listen to more episodes of this. We also have different other types of social media, such as a Facebook page. You just need to look up musecastxiv for that, or you can find us on Twitter at musecastxiv, same thing there. And if you like what you heard and you want to support us, you know, maybe buy us a drink or... Pay for Give our us a pat um, on hosting. The back. <laughs> yeah, pay for, for website hosting and everything like that. You can find us on Patreon, and you can find us on PayPal as well. Yes. Go to Musecast XIV, look in the bottom of the right-hand sidebar, and click the shiny button. It's shiny because... Uh, I don't know. <laughs> no, it's actually because like money? purple and 
it's purple and blue like everything else. It's not actually shiny, but oh. maybe maybe from now on I'll just put like a shiny button effect on it. <laughs> maybe that maybe that will drive donations. <laughs> I don't know. It's it's great when we get donations, but really like we we love hearing back from you and getting to know everybody who listens to the show. So yeah. Yeah, just, you know, let us know what you think of our show. Let us know what you think of the episodes. Let us know what you think of us. Yeah, because we got Ira here on the show just because she sent us an email. Be like, I like your show. My character's from Gridania. And we're like, thanks for the email. You want to help us with our Gridania episode? Because we need help. (laughs) Yeah, because we're all about not just giving our opinions and interpretations, but those of the larger Volkla community. And just because we're doing the show doesn't mean that we're not just average players just like everyone else. You know, we're not better or cooler than anybody else. Nope. Normal people, normal players. Yeah. More people should do this kind of thing. Hopefully you guys will get more yeah. guests after me. Awesome. Hey, we're really thankful that you were on. Oh, I loved it. I-, I totally want to do this again. Yeah. Actually, for our next episode, we may also have a special guest. That's true. Our next episode is going to focus on the Garlean Empire. So stay tuned for that. Yes. Ooh. Oh, there are so many people who roleplay ex-Garleans. Yeah, right? That should be interesting. Any ex-Garleans out there want to come hang out on the show? (laughs) Oh, we will find them. Oh, most definitely. So thank you, adventurers, for joining us once again. We will see you next time. Happy adventuring. Yep, see you next time. Thanks for listening to MuseCast 14. Tune in next time when we'll be discussing the Garleian Empire. Happy adventuring, and may you ever walk in the light of the crystal.